Good morning. I very quickly mastered the one mom hand. Now I very much understand all you moms out there. You guys are superstars doing everything with one hand. Um, just a couple of announcements. We have one more week of Bible study until our Christmas break. Um, so just remember last week will be uh, the last week for a couple weeks and then we'll be off. So please show up, do your Christmas shopping before Tuesday mornings. Don't save it for Tuesday. Um, come and celebrate the end of the, of the semester. And then we will not meet um, December 20th, December 27th, and then January 3rd. We will resume, I think the 11th is the Tuesday that we'll resume. Um, if you need those dates, you can take a picture of them on your phone. Um, I post it on Instagram and also on Facebook, so you can go back and look there, but I'll make sure to have this up for you next week just as a reminder. Um, I think that's all I have. It's a short, short and sweet week. Um, I know that there's a lot of sickness going around, so just wash your hands and stay safe. Um, thank you for being here. Uh, I know that it's hard as the semester winds down, you get busy with things, but we are so grateful that you're here today and we hope that Shannon's message blesses you. Uh, so if you think about it, pray for our young moms. We were just talking, you know, there's RSV, all kinds of things going around. Remember those days? I, oh, you know, uh, Colleen was saying, we don't need to listen to the news. All we have to do is stay in tune with the bunch of young parents, they'll let us know what's going around, right? Because they're dealing with it all the time. Um, but anyway, stay healthy. But if you are healthy, get your butt in the seat, right? We get lazy. We want to stay home. Trust me, I got some shopping to do myself. All right. You remember where we are? Daniel chapter five. <laughs> what, what did y'all say over there? Oh, oh, Daniel. Yep, we're in Daniel. Oh, Colleen's smart aleck. Erase that out. Well, don't erase that out. People that know her know. <laughs> Takes one to know one. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Trying to figure out where I left off. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today. And God, I just pray that um, you would calm our hearts and our minds and remove any distractions um, from our mind and that we could, in this one hour, we could sit and dance with our scripture, that we can um, look back over the story and all of the things that are happening and that we can learn some marvelous things about you and who you are but lord at the same time recognize some things in ourselves and so god i pray that you would just use me um, as an instrument just a mouthpiece that you would do the speaking that your holy spirit would be powerful in this place um god i pray that you would teach me while i'm teaching that you would allow these truths to sink into my heart um you know what i struggle with you know that when i come up here um all I am is just human, and I love you, and I love your word, but you're always working on things with me. And so, God, I pray that I, too, would be a part of this class just in humility as one of these women as we walk through um, the scenario that we have here, this, this showdown, per se, that is happening in this banquet hall with King Belshazzar. So, Lord, speak. We sure love you. And you are the King of kings and Lord of lords. You are worthy of praise. And may we remember why we celebrate this holiday of all the years of preparation and promise that you promised and promised that a Redeemer was coming. Lord, what a beautiful celebration it was, but what a quiet, intimate coming. And God, I just, I'm thankful. I'm thankful that you came. I'm thankful that... Uh, you died for me and you rose again and I have salvation. I'm, I'm eternally thankful for that. So may I live um, according to my calling. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, here we go. Let's see. What do you know? What do you remember? What's going on? Where are we? Who's the king? 
Belshazzar, see, y'all don't expect me to quiz you because you think, no, she's doing a video and she's not going to interact with us this way, but this is what I would do if you were in a smaller Bible study with me. So who's the king? Belshazzar. How much time has gone between chapter four and five, more or less? Anywhere between 20 or 30, depending on uh, who you read. And um, do you remember the name of his father? Nope, I knew I tricked you, right? His father was not Nebuchadnezzar, it's Nabonidus, or right, remember? But it does mean um, ancestor or in the line. Most people believe that he was related to Nebuchadnezzar through his daughter, okay? And um, so I told you last time, everything we've been studying in the first four chapters is it's like it's on, like it's come around full circle in this banquet. It's, it's like a showdown that is happening. And, and so we've talked a lot about um, how Daniel so far is a lot of counterfeits. Do you remember that? We have this uh, counterfeit king of kings. We have this counterfeit kingdom. Uh, we've talked about like a counterfeit tree of life, this counterfeit banquet. Um, and basically, remember that the whole theme of this book is that God is in control. And we are always coming back to this original idea of Babel, that we cannot cancel out God and build an empire to replace what we lost. God is in control. And we keep seeing human beings attempting to do that, but we know that with absolute power comes absolute corruption, right? And we're seeing that take place. Um, so when we left off right there, I, I read through some of the chapter, we have Belshazzar and he's having a great banquet. Now, do you remember, I, I think I mentioned it, what is happening outside the walls of Babylon as he's having this banquet. The Medo-Persian army has now showed up two days before uh, they had, historians say that they had conquered his father, uh, Nebonidus, I think. I always mess up that name. Look at your notes. Um, but uh, they had conquered him a couple days before, so they knew they were on the move. So the the actual taking of the city was a surprise, but it wasn't a surprise that they were coming and that they had surrounded. And so this banquet is taking place as the walls are surrounded by this army. So he knew that an attack was imminent. So why the banquet? We I think we finished there last week. Why the banquet? Um, you can see an element of this kind of thing in, Ch in Esther chapter 1, where Xerxes has this massive banquet preparing for war. Um, and so this is something they do. So was he preparing? Um, was it in a rally to encourage the, the leaders? Was it a diversion from an onslaught, like we're going to feast tonight and die tomorrow? Um, or was it absolute arrogance, the fact that we're going to party because we will never be taken? That's personally what I believe it is. I think it is a party um, because I don't believe they think it is possible for the Medes and the Persians to break through the walls of Babylon. Um, let me tell you some information about this city. There were 17 miles of wall. They were 22 feet thick. Yep. In the lowest areas, they were 90 feet high. <laughs> yeah. These walls were one of the um, seven ancient wonders of the world. People would come to see the walls. That and uh, Nebuchadnezzar's hanging gardens were amazing. Their gates were not wooden where they could be burned. They were bronze. So you're not going to burn the gates. You're not going to get through the gates. And remember, gates were to keep people out. Um, and inside the walls, there were other walls and inner walls, and there were moats inside the walls. The Euphrates River ran through the city of Babylon from north to south, so you're not going to run out of water. And historians say that they had enough food in that city to feed the people for 20 years. 
oh my goodness. If you ever go to Israel with me, it'll blow your mind uh, when we um, go to Masada, which is Herod's escape palace, and to see the store, the, you know, the residual from the storehouses where they say that he could have lived his whole life up there um, because there was, he had enough food for his entire life if he had to escape. Masada. Um, it's, it's amazing. It's this mountain fortress um, that had one path. It's called the snake path that goes up. And so when you see what all they built there and you realize that it was built on the backs of slaves walking up that slave path. Um, on one of my birthdays, I was leading the trip and I decided I was going to hike that snake path. And my guide is like, no, Shannon, you're not going to. I go, yeah, I'm doing it. I'm hiking the snake path. So take my people, please, on the gondola. Don't worry. If you go with me, you don't have to hike the snake path. You have a gondola. You get on this gondola, and you go up to the top of this mountain. It's so cool. But I was determined I was hiking that thing. And so I said, I promise you, by the time you watch this little video, y'all get on the gondola, and you get to the top. I'm going to be there. Was I not people who were with me? I made it. Yes, I was at the top. And um, it was so cool. That was quite the birthday, I have to say, because I not only hiked the snake path, I rode a camel that day, and I had dinner with Abraham and Eliezer looking out over the Judean mountains. Right? Y'all remember that? Mm-hmm. It was pretty sweet. Anyway, okay, I believe the fact is they are banqueting because they do not believe it is possible for them to fall. It is an absolute arrogance. And they have not learned that you cannot create your own security. It does not matter what kind of walls you build. You're about to find out that Yahweh can break through any wall. Um, I don't think, I think this relates to us as well, because I think in our fears, in our world, we build walls. Don't you? I think we, a lot of time, uh, work really hard to manage our own security as if that is possible, that we want to protect ourselves when we fear. We build walls, we store up food, we buy guns, uh, we secure and control our families, and um, we think, oh, we take our health for granted. We think, oh, I'm healthy also until you're not, right? In a minute, the stock market can change. You can lose your money. I mean, I've seen people with loads of money lose it. Um, you can be healthy and one minute you're not. You can have your family intact and one minute you don't. We have learned that it is impossible, right, to build walls of security to protect ourselves. And that is an attribute of Babel if you consider it in the overall story. Remember, the flood had just happened this judgment, this catastrophe. And the next thing we see is they're disobeying God about trusting him and spreading out and creating his kingdom. Instead, they stay together, build walls and security, and they cancel God out. So we have a tendency to do that. Um, now, I'm not saying that we can't show wisdom, right? If you do not eat, if you do not work, you do not eat. Okay. So there's wisdom in that and preparing. Um, but also another thing we might do is we might avoid it. We might use distraction. We might not show wisdom by having a banquet when we shouldn't be banqueting. Like, hey, eat, drink, and be, and be merry for tomorrow we die. And so sometimes we aren't the preppers. We're the ones who stick our head in the sand and act like nothing is happening around us. Do I have any of those people in the room? right? So the fact is we have in here, we're going to see it even more when it comes to our, um, I'm going to say salvation, right? We cannot provide for our own salvation, literal, spiritual. We cannot. And we shouldn't ignore the inevitable. It's, it's coming. And we're going to see in a minute, I think I even say it later in my notes. Do you understand how many times, you can't watch anything today without seeing a commercial about how we're going to die. In some way. Whether it's talking about health insurance, life insurance, some kind of something. And my goodness, we came out of a whole season of you're going to die, you're going to die, you're going to die. Fear. You would think that people obsessed with the fact that we are going to die, 
that we would realize that the soul is eternal, the body will die, and we would think, then what does that mean? Then what do I do? What is next? Like, and so sometimes we, uh, we think, oh, well, we can do it ourselves. And then other times we just ignore the inevitable, like it's not even happening. It's not even an issue. And so you're going to see this kind of thing scattered throughout this, this story. Um, I can't imagine to begin or to guess the reason why Belshazzar sent for the goblets. Okay, um, I'm going to guess. And I'm, a lot of this, I'm just going to tell you the things that I think through the questions I have, and then I'm going to tell you when something is absolutely black and white legit. But I wonder, I think this whole feast was a feast of arrogance. Um, he was drinking in front of, the, of them, it says, meaning he held the stage, he held their attention. And I don't want you to think that he was blasphemous or idolatrous or disrespectful because he was drunk. He was all those things, and the dr drunkenness made it worse. Okay? It brought it out all the more. And I think in his arrogance, he is blaspheming God and really... Um, kind of bowing up to him because he thinks he cannot be taken out. A lot of this stuff I was thinking about, um, he knows the history of Nebuchadnezzar. He knows the stories. Um, so there is no way that these goblets are not connected in his mind with the God of Daniel, with the God of the Jewish people. And he knows all the stories about that, of what happened in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. I mean, at one point, Nebuchadnezzar bowed his knee to that God. They knew the stories. Um, they knew the supernatural experiences. Um, they knew that eventually he came to worship God. He knew all this, and yet he rejected it. He not only rejected it, but he probably repudiated God in a deliberate act of blasphemy. I wonder, here's some of the questions I have. Had Daniel's interpretations of Nebuchadnezzar's dream ever been discussed? In a time of war, remember, it's no longer a time of peace. It's now a time of war. The Medes and the Persians are on the move. And they're kicking butt and taking names. You're telling me nobody ever sat back, some old counselor, they never sat back and talked about the interpretation of the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had about the image and that at some point Babylon would fall to an inferior group. And do you not think there was ever fear or discussion? I don't know. You would think as they looked back, I wonder too if Daniel and his buddies had ever discussed the prophecy from Isaiah 44. Look at that. The prophet Isaiah had predicted some, uh, something pretty amazing, actually. Do I need to say it again? 44, 28. Who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he shall fulfill all my purpose, saying of Jerusalem, she shall be built, and of the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thus saith the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and to loose the belts of kings to open doors before him that gates may not be closed. Who's Cyrus? Of who? King of who? Persia. So you're just wondering what conversations are going on in the background of all of the council, and I just wonder if that had ever been talked about. We also know, well, you don't, maybe yet, but in Daniel 7 and 8, um, we're going we're gonna to look at that Daniel had predicted the end of the empire um, in the life of Belshazzar. So I'm just wondering how much knowledge or warning or talk had been about that at some point Babylon would fall and now they're surrounded by the Medes and the Persians and Belshazzar is saying what? You're not going to take me down. I defy all that. Matter of fact, go get the goblets. Go get the stuff from um, the God.
the Jewish people and bring them to me because I'm going to, I'm going to party with them and I'm going to salute and worship the, the gods of our nation. And so it's almost like it is a, um, he's, he's defying God. He's, it's like he's spitting in God's eyes. It's not only blasphemy and disrespect, but he is also using those goblets for idolatry. And so this is a big thing. I don't want you to think he's just having a big party and he gets in trouble for that. No, that's not what's happening at all. So look at, we're going to read 5 through 12 in Daniel chapter 5. So immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. The king called loudly to bring in the enchanters, the Chaldeans, and the astrologers. The king declared to the wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and shows me its interpretation shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Why does it say third? Because he's the co-regent with his father, remember. So that was like right under him. Then all the king's wise men came in, but they could not read the writing or make known to the king the interpretation. Then King Belshazzar was greatly alarmed and his color changed and his lords were perplexed. The queen, because of the words of the king and his lord, came into the banqueting hall and the queen declared, O king, live forever. Let not your thoughts alarm you or your color change. There is a man in your kingdom, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods, in the days of your father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, were found in him. And King Nebuchadnezzar, your father, your father the king, made him chief of the magicians and enchanters, Chaldeans and astrologers, because an excellent spirit, knowledge and understanding to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems were found in this Daniel, whom the king named Belshazzar. Now let Daniel be called and he shall show the interpretation. Okay. So in an instant... The revel, the revelry of his lavish feast has turned into sheer terror. Every eye saw it. Can you imagine? A hand comes down writing on the white plaster wall, and it was illuminated by a brilliant lampstand. I wrote in here, the wine stopped flowing, and Belshazzar was shaken. Blood ran out of his face. He fell and he was trembled. And if you really want the interpretation, it says his loins were loosed. <laughs> what is that? I might, I mean, I could suggest some things, but I don't know if they need to be on record. I don't know if he soiled himself or, you know, what happened. But it, it, in one moment, uh, Mr. Arrogant was shaken, okay, when he saw something like that. Um, I thought, what a different scene when many, many, about 70 years before, some young men came to a banquet and they decided they weren't going to drink the king's wine or, or eat the king's food. And they took a big risk trusting in God. And they uh, came out of that situation stronger. Here you have this whole arrogant scene where the wine is flowing and the meat is good. And um, all of a sudden, right, the scene changes and he is not stronger for this. What? His loins are loose. Like, he's scared out of his mind. He just figured out there is not a wall or a gate in the world that Yahweh can't knock down or penetrate. <laughs> you think you're something. You're about to realize you're not. Uh, it's like David said, God, where could I possibly hide from you? If I go to the depths, you are there. If I go to the highest mountain, you are there. Um, why do we think that we can hide from God? It's crazy. Job, I love this verse. It's some bad advice from a friend, but, you know, what he says is true. Look at Job 24 through 7. Do you not know this from old, since man was placed on earth, that the exalting of the wicked is short, and the joy of the godless but for a moment 
though his height mount up to the heavens. What is what language is that? I want you to get used to hearing that language. What does that remind you of? Though his height mount up to the heavens and his head reach the clouds. What was the language in Babel? Y'all need to go back and read uh, Genesis chapter 11 well. Okay, the story of Babel and get used to that language, that big event. All right. Um, because it, do you understand that's what they said? They will reach, a, they will build a tower up to the what? Up to the heavens. It is this uh, rising up, this arrogant that we will build the empire. We are our security. We can do it without God. And it's this language. It's like uh, that the exalting of the wicked is short, the joy of the godless, but for a moment, though his height mount up to the heavens and his head reach to the clouds, he will perish forever like his own dung. Those who have seen him will say, where is he? You can't rise up and be God. We are not in charge. Who are we in the eyes of God? We bow our knee. And so it's this language of arrogance of the things that we build. And uh, Job's friend was telling him that in bad context. But what he said is absolutely true. So I want to look at the symbolism here, though of this writing on the wall. And I want you to see two amazing things that you might not naturally yourself pick out of this story. I want you to look at the finger of God and the lampstand. Okay, because those should bring to mind certain events or certain situations from the Old Testament. And maybe you would enjoy going back and looking at some of that. So we had in this story a hand come down uh, right on the wall. Uh, I'm assuming, I'm going to assume with the finger writing on the wall illuminated by a lampstand. Okay, that reminds me of John chapter 8. So if you were with me last year, we studied John. And do you remember um, in John 8 12, he says this I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you remember where he was when he made that statement? Let's go to, let's go to 8. Go to John chapter 8. John 8, 12, he says that. All right, so he says, again, Jesus spoke saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, looking at that, and it says later on down in the chapter that he said these things while he was standing in the treasury. And when we studied John chapter 8 back in that day, I told you the context of this situation was the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you remember that? And the Feast of Tabernacles was for them to go back and remember their wilderness wanderings. And so, um, and when they lived in booths. So that's when they built the booths. Do you remember this? Outside, hey kids, we're going to go camping in the streets. And we build these booths and there's, uh, it's filled with branches. And so they would sit and they would recount the stories in the wilderness about how God provided for them. One of the ways he provided was manna. He provided uh, water from the rock. He provided, um, he led them by a cloud by day and fire by night. And so there were things in that festival to remind them. Remember the water libation? When they would come down and they would get the water from the pool of Siloam and then they would sing and celebrate and dance. It was like a whole parade down there and a whole parade back and they would pour it out over the altar. The, another thing they did is they lit up giant menorahs, giant lampstands that had bowls full of oil. And it says, Josephus says that the light, and remember it came from the temple, that the light from that penetrated all of Jerusalem. And they were remembering that this God, the I am, had led them with the fire all through the wilderness. So Jesus, on the last great day, he is, he is in that place where those lampstands would be. And what does he say? I am. I, I am right there. The light of the world. If anyone follows me, they will not walk in darkness. That's awesome. So in the light of that statement, pun intended, 
Um, see what I did there? In the light of that statement, you tell me what is the story in John 8 before that statement? Okay, now let me read you the woman caught in adultery and see if you can pick up on the other thing that I picked up that we're studying. Okay, let's just try it. They went each to his own house, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman, ha this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. So what do you say? This they said to test him that they might have some charge against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. Did you pick up on something? <laughs> yeah. The light of the world, right, bent down with that hand and wrote in the dust with his finger. Um, you see, the scribes and the Pharisees, they used the law as a weapon, shining a light, which by the way, it is the very finger of God that we see um, in Exodus 31 that pens the law. And so they used the law as a weapon, shining the light on the woman's sin, but they failed to understand that this same light reveals sin in their own lives. Right? We don't know what he wrote. I have no idea what he wrote. Sometimes I wonder if he began to write the law. You know? Sometimes I wonder if he wrote Holiday Inn, 2 o'clock, room 304. I mean, I don't know. But whatever he wrote, I don't know if it loosened their loins, but it loosened their grip on the stones that they had in their hand because they were trying to use what the finger of God had written as a weapon to someone else by lighting up their sin. And what they didn't realize is that same law lights up theirs. And so they encountered a greater light than the law. They encountered the light of the world. And they chose in that instance to turn around and walk back into the darkness. Wow, whatever he wrote, it struck fear in them, just like the finger writing on Belshazzar's wall. Um, they couldn't bear it and they walked away. We see the finger of God active all through scripture. So I told you one, Exodus 31, the finger of God penned the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 8... That's how he freed them as well. If you remember, the Egyptian magicians, when it came to the gnats, the ten plagues, one of the ten plagues, they looked at Pharaoh and they said, we can't duplicate this. What you are seeing is a result of the finger of God. <laughs> God can just make the dust come up and it is a plague of gnats. The same finger that penned the law uh, Psalm 837, is it 37 or 3? I can't read my own writing, so let's look because I want you to have it right. Let's look. Psalm 8, it might be 3. Is it 3? You know what I'm after, don't you? Yep. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? The heavens of God declare the glory of the Lord. He created all by his finger. How about Luke 20? This is a good one. Luke 11:20. 20. 
I'll start in 19. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But, but if it is by the finger of God, who's speaking, by the way? What color are your letters? Red, Jesus. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Who's the finger of God? Who is the, the, the acting? It, it's the will of the Father through the Son, right? By the power of the Holy Spirit. And so he has, uh, he literally, they have experienced the light of the world and they have decided to walk back in the darkness. But in, with the adulterous woman, you know she's still scared and she's still trembling. But she somehow wants to stay with him because she's experienced the greater light, the light of his grace. He says, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, Lord. Neither do I condemn you. Go at, from now on, sin no more. It reminds me of John 3.19. Don't ever forget this chapter. I want to read it to you again. We always read John 3.16. But let's look at John 3.19. Well, I'm going to do 18 before that. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned what? Already. That's your position. We didn't put you there. That is your position. We are all condemned already. Until what? We put our faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone. It says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only son of God. This is the judgment. If you read that phrase, you should listen to the next part. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world. And people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come into the light lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light. So that, anytime you see a so that, you need to underline it. So that. It may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, that they may see God in us. That's the thing. We come, we have a choice. The light has shown. The finger of God has written. And we have a choice. We can either walk towards that light into grace and forgiveness and live a life that shows that the works we do are in God. In, and that takes what? The bowing of the knee. Humility. It's repentance to salvation. Or we can remain with our prideful arrogance and we can turn away and walk back into the dark. You see this playing out in the scene with Belshazzar. You see it. I also want you to see 2 Corinthians 3.3. 3. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of the human heart. The finger of God hasn't just written on stone tablets. The finger of God has written in my heart. I know it. I feel it. I'm convicted by it. And so it is powerful. Well, Belshazzar is frightened. So he calls in all his wise counsel. They could not interpret it. They could clearly see it. They just could not understand it. Um, and it continues to say that his color changed and he turned white. Don't you find it interesting that they keep going back to the same old broken cisterns and they never have the answers? Do you just keep reading that every time and go, why are you calling these fools in? <laughs> have you learned nothing? They're not going to be able to interpret it. Just go get Daniel. Call Ghostbusters. It works every time. 
Like, what in the world? That's how we start to feel as we read these stories a chapter at a time. But you know what? Think about it. Don't you do the same thing? When we have problems, don't you keep going back to the same old broken cisterns trying to fix it? And it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And if you think for one minute, me knowing that means I don't do that, you're cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I am just like you. So please never forget, like we are all in this thing called humanity together. And we go back to those same people uh, or situations or whatever to find answers. And the answers are not there. And then when we can't find the answers through those broken cisterns, we go, oh, I know there is a man by the name of Jesus. You know, so, oh, it's so frustrating. It says that what happened is the queen finds out and she enters into the banquet. So I'm going to tell you who I... I believe this is the queen mother. I do not believe this is the current queen, his wife. And let let me tell you why. Because it says that his wives and his concubines were a part of the banquet. Okay? And plus, I do not believe the queen has that much power over the king. Okay? Remember Esther? She couldn't just run in to Xerxes, her husband, and say, I'm going to tell you something. This is going on. No. She took her life in her hands. By going in without being requested, and she literally had to bow before him and wait to see if he would pardon her in that moment to hear what she had to say. If he didn't, off with her head. I mean, she was done. I believe this is the queen mother. Why? Because mothers have power. That's why. Mothers can get away with things that other people can't. She had this wisdom and she had this respect, and she wasn't in the banquet. Did you notice that? She hears what is going on in the banquet, and she comes in, and most people believe that this was probably a daughter of Nebuchadnezzar, okay? And she says, dude, pull it together, right? Only a mother can do that too. Have you done that with your kiddos? Let me tell you what, I'm nurturing, I'm encouraging, I'm all of those things, I really am. I'm a lover. I'm a kisser and a hugger and all that. But then there comes a time where I am like with my kids, you got to pull it together. We're stronger than this. I don't care what people think. We're going to do what, and do y'all do that too? You know, you pre, I don't know if that's coaching or preaching. All right. But I grew up in the sports world and that's what we did. You know, I remember one uh, Zach was like 11 on a tournament one weekend in baseball and he literally struck out and he didn't strike out much, but he struck out every at bat. He came back. He was kind of like, you know, pouting, whatever. I go, honey, it's all right. It's no big deal. Everybody has a bad day. Let's go eat pizza. Who cares? The next day it was like, you know, a weekend tournament. He struck out every time. And now it's getting serious. And if you think I like that, I don't like that either. So I was like, oh, it's okay. I go, listen, honey, baseball is a game of failure. I mean, you're just going to fail all the time. Baseball teaches you how to fail. Did you realize that, you know, if you fail two-thirds of the time, you're still in, you be in the uh, Hall of Fame, Baseball Hall of Fame. It's no big deal. (laughs) The next game on the next day that morning, he struck out every time and he got in the car and he was all in his head. And finally I turned around and go, listen, cut it out. I go, do your job. You're in your head. Are you kidding me? You can hit a a wadded up ball of socks with a spatula across our house. You can hit a freaking baseball. I am sick of it. They need you. Get out there and hit the dadgum ball. And he's like, well, guess what? The next game he gets up there and it's like, gone. Next at bat, guess what? Gone. Like every now and then you have to have some. Uh, oh, and by the way, the coaches were like, Doug was out of town at the time. And they're like, forget Doug. Uh, we need mama. When Zach goes in a slump, we need his mom to go get a grip. You know, what is wrong with you? And so uh, that's how I picture her right here. Like he's coming apart at the seams. One minute he's arrogant going and getting the cups and, and, and toying with God. And guess what? God just answered. 
and he didn't know what to do. And now mama comes in and she says, boy, you've done it. You better get a grip. But I know, leave it to mama. This is how you're going to solve it. There is a man in your kingdom. And you know what that reminds me of right now? You remember the verbiage from the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, when she meets Jesus and he knows everything she's ever done? She goes into town and she says, there is a man that has told me everything I have ever done. And so she tells him, listen, you need some wise counsel. And so Daniel's called in. There is a man. Um, Daniel was not one of the original wise men to come in. It seems that he was possibly semi-retired. He's probably about 85 years old, around there, mid-80s. Um, but guess what? God was not done with him. I don't really see retirement in the scriptures, do you? I really don't. Well, I'm never going to get to. I'm going to have to work forever. That's just so I hope y'all like me now and you'll like me 20 years, okay? Because um, that's the fact. You aren't retired. God desires to use you until your days are done. And we don't know what Daniel's been doing the last 20 years. All we know that whatever he's been doing, he was ready and he stepped up when God called him. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? We stay in training and we wait for when we receive a command and we step up to what God asks us to do and we are to always be ready to give an answer for the faith that we have. And that is, that is what our job is. Interesting how she referred to him as Daniel and then said, but the king named him Belshazzar. I believe that she knows the story. She has faith uh, or she has respect for who Daniel is and his faith by calling him by his Hebrew name. Now, let's read 13. Let's read on. Isn't this so much fun? I'm going to tell you right now, don't skip me. TJ Maxx ain't got nothing on me right now. Here we go. <laughs> and I can tear up TJ Maxx. Then Daniel was brought in before the king, and the king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you, that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. By the way, whose words are those? His mother's. So he's saying, okay, well, I've been told. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay. He starts off with, are you that Daniel? Did you pick up on that? Maybe he said, well, I'm Daniel. I don't know if I'm that. I mean, what do you mean by that Daniel? Are you that Daniel? And then he says, one of the exiles of Judah, whom my father brought from Judah, that Daniel. Belshazzar definitely had heard the great stories of the past regarding Daniel, but he seems to me to be one who is not interested in the past nor respectful of it. He is really concerned with the here and now and himself, and he is just inquiring of Daniel because the queen mother told him to and told him of Daniel's abilities. He seems to want Daniel to understand, though, that he is inferior. How in the world is it that you have released your loins because, whatever that means, because you've seen the writing on the wall and you are meeting the man who might be the only man in your entire kingdom to give you the answer you're looking for and you're going to choose arrogance? You're still arrogant? Even to that point, you want to point out that, listen, um, you know, I, I want you to still know that I recognize the fact that you're still just a captive. That's what he's saying to him. 
Like, I hear you're something, but I want you to know that I know you're a captive. Unbelievable. He lets Daniel know that he has been called because of his reputation and because of nothing else has worked. I think that's so interesting. That's what we do. I think there's a principle there. Why is it that we go for God when nothing else seems to work? (laughs) We have this arrogance in our humanity that we're going to do it my way until we realize that my way leads to no way and then we go to Yahweh and then, you know, that's kind of how it works. And so when nothing else would work, he finally um, came to Daniel. He tells Daniel that everyone else has failed, but if he can do it, he will be given riches and authority. Look at how Daniel answers. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, let your gifts be for yourself and give your reward to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. I'll go ahead and finish this section. O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdoms of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them, and you have praised the gods of silver and gold and bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your and and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Ooh. Daniel agrees to help. By the way, he doesn't need any of those gifts. He doesn't want them. He wants nothing from Belshazzar, right? Daniel's 85 years old. He's been walking with God a long time. He doesn't need one thing that the world had to offer him as far as authority. All the authority he had, he already had, and that was in God. But Daniel agrees to help. But first, he preaches a sermon. He's saying to Belshazzar, you know what? You can stand to hear a little history. Not only that, but the writer is making a case. You know what's always interesting? Um, I've always told my kids, listen, when you're in a humble situation, sometimes you have to take it in the chin. You need my money? Well, guess what? Yeah, you may get the lecture that comes before I write the check. And and if I have an ounce of attitude when I give you the history lesson, then you're not getting the check. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's not strings. But the person writing the check has every right to give you some advice because obviously you've gotten to the place where what? You need it. So my advice to you is this. Quit saying to me, I know. I know. No, you don't. Has anybody else had to deal with this? Right? No, you don't. If you knew, like really knew, we wouldn't even be having this conversation. Because this is not something that was not expected. This is a repetitive situation that we've got to figure out, Right? Which means you better humble yourself and not just hear me, but listen to me. Because there's going to be a time when I ain't going to write the check. Right? 
Daniel wants him to understand. This, this is a situation. And why? Why is this such a fast situation? Because in, when it came to Nebuchadnezzar, he had 12 months to get right. It seems a little crazy in this situation. Belshazzar had what? It done. Right? Don't assume because God was patient over here that he'll, don't presume on God. That he won't at some point declare it and it's done. We are not promised lunch. All right? And so he is stepping back. He's like, Belshazzar, I'm going to do this and I don't want a thing from you. But what you're going to have to do is you're going to hear a little bit of a history lesson because you need to understand what you have actually done. And he goes through and he says, you need to understand this. Your ancestor, Nebuchadnezzar, God gave him that kingdom. You need to realize who is in charge and how Babylon came to such height. That is because God gave it. And he gave him such a kingdom that, yes, Nebuchadnezzar could choose who lived and died. I mean, he had power over every human being. It, remember, he was equated with this, like, tree of life for the empire. But God gave him that power. And guess what? When he became arrogant and prideful, and prideful God also, what? Humbled him. He humbled him. How much? He became a beast. That's how much. He lost all reason. He became a beast. He did this so he would understand that God is the king ruler over all humanity. And then he turns to the pronoun, and you. Ooh, this reminds me. Do you remember when uh, um, Nathan the prophet goes into David and he tells him the story? Uh, this whole story about how this rich man went in and took the poor man's one and only lamb and cooked it up for dinner because he had a guest. He took that one, and he's talking, who's he talking about? Bathsheba. And he's telling this whole story, but Daniel doesn't know what he's talking about. He gets drawn in this story and this narrative, and then Daniel looks at him, I mean Daniel, uh, Nathan looks at him and says what? You the man. Whoa. Right? This is what's happening. He is telling him this history story, and then he says, but you, you are just like him, but you should have known better. You should have known better, which means you are even more responsible. The thing with Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar had his own personal experience with God. Belshazzar didn't have to because he should have what? Known. He should have known by the testimony of Nebuchadnezzar. And so all through scripture, you can see that there are times that people have personal experience. But okay, like for example, the disciples. They had personal experience with God. But do you remember what God tells Thomas when he's doubting? He says, okay, this is fine. You can touch me or whatever. But greater is the faith of those who, down the road, they're going to believe me without seeing. Based on what? Y'all's testimony. And so none of us have an excuse. And so he is saying, this is even worse. Because you had the knowledge. You had it. It was there for you. And the fact is, you rejected it. This is what has happened. You had full knowledge of who God was and what he was and how he could do it. It was all there in the history. It was given to you and you saw it and you rejected it. You have blasphemed and you have mocked God. And you've put your hands in the gods who do not see or hear. Instead of the one that holds your breath. Oh my goodness. And then he tells him the interpretation, and I don't have time. Right? Let me see. I don't have time. It's 1059. Isn't this good stuff? 
It is so good. Here's the thing. We are, this book is so good. We are exiles. This is not our home. It seems like uh, the powers to be are in control, but they're not. Daniel is shown by pulling back the curtain. You have no idea what's going on sometimes. God is always at work. He is the ruler of the kingdoms of men, and he will put people in place as he sees fit. And I am called to endure and to remain faithful and to be ready, man, and to be ready when he calls me to task. And I might have a a 20-year waiting period in between callings. It tells you that there are different seasons of life, aren't there? But always be ready when God calls you up because he can use you in whatever season. I can look back on my life and I can see how God has used different things And I hope that there were so many contact points of people that someday when I get to heaven and I'm sitting at the banquet and we look back and maybe God will give me this cool map or something where I get to see points light up where I intersected different people's lives and it made a difference. I think that would be the just the coolest thing ever. And in the meantime, in the middle of all that, I'm messing up left and right. But I just still think God used messy people um, to do pretty amazing things. But I think it is so sad when we continue to think that our salvation is going to be found in any empire of men. Right? God is trustworthy. And we have to trust Him on the daily. We cannot build walls to protect ourselves Because really, give us this day our daily bread. We have to learn to trust. I'm speaking to myself right now. Um, We also can't avoid the fact that we're going to face discomfort. We can't avoid the fact that one day we're going to face death. And we have to decide what we believe. Because I promise you, Romans chapter 1 says that God has made himself plain to this world. He has revealed himself from the beginning of all time, even by what he has created. Not only that, we have the full revelation of scripture given to us. He is saying you should have known. And that is why Romans 1 says that no man will have the excuse of ignorance. Because we have been told that there is a man and he knows everything about you and just like the woman at the well he knew it all and he sat down with her anyway and she looked at him and she said I don't understand a lot of this but I know that when the Messiah comes he will explain all things and he said I am the Messiah he came and that is what we're celebrating at Christmas the fact that the finger of God God incarnate showed up. He did what he said he would do. And he died to pay our penalty. He is the light of the world. And he paid our penalty so that we could have a relationship with him that is eternal. And one day we will be at an amazing banquet together. And there will once again be the tree of life. It is beautiful. The Bible never gets boring. So be in it this week, all right? And buy your gifts. There's nothing wrong with that. I like gifts, right? No big deal. But don't let it be the reason. Stop. Think about it this way. Every morning, wake up this morning. Spend some time with Jesus before all the chaos. Chaos is going to come. You can't stop it. Cookies and invites and all this stuff. But start the day off well, quiet your spirit, remember him and what we actually are celebrating. Um, And let's stop building kingdoms of men. Lord, thank you so much for today. I thank you for the privilege of teaching your word. Lord, I thank you. Um, When you use me even in weakness, may I always remain humble. It's all you and know me. I remember this on the daily. 
God, teach me to trust you more. I really need lessons in that. Trust you more. Let you be my satisfaction for all things. Lord, I long to be at that banquet in heaven. My personal cry, God, is to come quickly. Please come quickly. I'm ready. But if not, keep me ready so that when you call me up, I'm ready to do what you need. And it would be my privilege because you gave me everything. Everything I have comes from you. I love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh, I forgot to tell you, um, if you don't get to have quiet time with Jesus in the morning, every night um, from now until Christmas, um, I'm posted and collaborated on a Bible, uh, like a short devotion with Shannon. So there's a little devotional. It's five slides um, about who Jesus is and just a good reminder as we're leading up to Christmas. So I've been going back and studying her old lessons throughout the week, and that's my my quiet time. And so I share my thoughts about what Shannon has said about who Jesus is. You can find it on Facebook um, or you can find it on Instagram.